Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new week of This Week in X, as we are here to cover the X-Men comic books out on the 16th of December, 2020, and there are three this week. New Mutants number 14, X-Force number 15, and Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood number two. So, spoiler warning, we are here to discuss every single aspect of these comic books. We are going to attempt to talk about every panel and hopefully stop ourselves, because there's a lot to talk about this week. So you're going to get thoroughly spoilered, not only on this week's comics, but basically on Marvel's entire history from 1961 to present. So if you're the kind of person who's concerned about spoilers, this is perhaps not the correct program for you. With that out of the way, I want to welcome my colleagues today, Tyler and Freya's designated survivor mutant, Harry. Hi. Hello there. So, Tyler, let me ask you, um, when it comes to a big problem in your life, are you more on the gathering intel side or the taking action side? It really depends on what type of problem. Um, I tend to jump into action when it's something that is um, affecting me, like, negatively. Mm. And, you know, and in a very... um, Con- constant manner such as you know my neighbors playing loud music you know i'm not going to stay stand around and figure out if they are doing it on purpose or they are doing it for like five minutes or 15 minutes right you if know, it's loud if it, it's loud and now yeah, it's the time to act <laughs> yeah and i would just like jump into action call the front desk call the property manager or something like that but if it's something that is a little bit um puzzling or longer term type of issue then you know like you know if i feel like my body is is um, reacting badly to something, which I don't know what. Um, I will do a little bit more on the intel part. Like I'll try to figure out what will cause this problem and if that is the cause of my problem before I go to a doctor, before mm-hmm. I go to a dentist. It's methodical. Yeah. Yeah, X-Force could use some methodical uh, things like that. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) You need to be on the team, man. Get over there. (laughs) And Harry, let me ask you, when is the last time that you've taken the time to do a handwritten note with a nice cursive signature for someone? I can't speak to cursive. That I cannot say. (laughs) But, 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 uh, I do actually write uh, some friends uh, a nice handwritten letter every holiday or so. So I'd say around a year ago. Yeah, it's uh, the one... uh, very wholesome thing I do to offset the other year of madness that I visit upon them. So it works out. So each each <laughs> friend or group of friends gets their own one. It's not just like a printed one that you sign. <laughs> Hello, blank. Yeah. It is good to see you. No, I know no, people I who do that every Christmas. <laughs> We're like, we have the family letter and we write one little sentence on it and then we all sign it. But it's like the family <laughs> newsletter. I know a lot yeah. of people that do that. Uh, no, just like a two or three. That's kind of funny, though. Just like a boilerplate template kind of thing. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> well, then you put the Christmas, you know, photo in, like, of your dogs or whatever. and you know. <laughs> That's where you personalize yeah, it. Yeah, that's how you personalize it. So uh, this week, we have, as I've hinted at, we have a lot to talk about. And I know this because we kind of get, compare notes beforehand. And, and when both Tyler's notes and my notes are long, that is when you know that you're going to be in trouble generally. And you're in trouble <laughs> on one of these issues this week. So before we jump into each of them, I just thought we could do a roundtable of what was the biggest highlight for you this week. One thing that just stuck in your brain across all three issues among everything. Tyler. Um, how much Reese's art looks like Sienkiewicz's art. Yes! It's crazy. Yes. And we've seen him before not look no. that much like Sienkiewicz. Yeah. 
So that was the first thing that jumped out at me when I when I when I first read like I think on page three of 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 New Mutants. Very cool. Well, we're gonna definitely talk more about his art yeah. a little bit later. Harry, what about you? Uh, mine was just the uh, there's a conversation in New Mutants about uh, why there aren't more clones on the island and whether or not mm-hmm. that's something that should happen and whether everyone's okay with it and uh, that's kind of the interesting stuff that I love that they take the time to kind of feel out. On, uh, on Krakoa now. So that was like the thing that's kind of been rattling around in my head the most because I want to know where Evan is. I'll, I'll cut to the quick there. Like that was been, <laughs> I was like, that's right. Where is he? Like this doesn't seem right. And uh, yeah, I thought that was just like a, a, some interesting stuff that they were talking about and in the issue. I mean, it is also a little bit of a inconsistent treatment because yeah, yeah they rejected <laughs> Maddie. I mean, you know, in a, in a very big way, but yet um, the Stafford Cuckoos are there. So, in some well, ways, you know... We got some clone stuff to dig into yeah. today, clearly. Honey Badger's on the case. I know she said her name was Scout. <laughs> I don't care. Honey Badger was a better <laughs> honey name. Badger. It's Honey Badger. <laughs> it's Honey Badger. Yep. Let's get it right. Not, you know, like, yes, personal autonomy and names and everything, but Honey Badger was a better name. Uh, yes. So, for me, the thing that stuck out was I love the cast of early New Mutants, and I think there's a very, in terms of the original 1983 run, mm-hmm. I think there's very much a line of like pre Leafield, post Leafield, where Leafield um, jettisoned all of those characters, largely women, that he wasn't as interested in using. And I just really delighted that this was like the original New Mutants cast, pretty much minus Bobby and Sam. It's it's mm-hmm. Danny, it's Karma, it's it's Rain, it's Warlock. You know, Doug is in the periphery. And then just to make things interesting, we've got Warpath bot- bolted on there, who we have to remember was a Hellion who they had reason to interact with long before he came kind of after that lethal divide and became part of X-Force. So I just think the cast is really thrilling. Like, these are characters I really care about. Oh, plus magic, too. And Mm kind of all in one place. And it's not, um, it feels like there's the right amount of them to get a good amount of focus. So I'm really excited to talk about all of them a little bit later. All right. Well, with that, I think we're ready to dig in. Are we ready to dig in? Yes, we are. All right, let's go. First things first, with X-Force 15, let's just talk about our first impressions. And then we can get into the meat of this issue. Tyler, first impressions. Um... I like that many things are happening in this issue. Um, you have the beginning of a story, you have the ending of a story, and you have something that is developing halfway. Um, the problem I have with it is that um, some parts of the story seems to be wrapped up in a really hasty way mm. and um, in not a very satisfying way. And I feel like the um, Ten of Swords uh, or the X of Swords uh, crossover is clearly the most disruptive um, to X-Force at right. this point in time. Out of all the titles. Yeah. Yeah. Because that happened... I mean, the, the previous issue of the stories is, you know, stopped at a cliffhanger. And then we went on to do the crossover. And then when we came back to this, there is a little bit of a loss in momentum. And... I have trouble placing when or where, I mean, when the interrogation scenes happen. Did it happen before or after the crossover? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it's before, but... Yeah. Harry, what about you? Uh, yeah, I didn't like this. Um, I think it's, uh, to Tower's point, I think a lot of the momentum was messed with with the crossover. and uh, But, you know, I think we're dealing with now with uh, Omega Red and Beast, um, it's just not totally working for me. It feels kind of perfunctory. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts about um, Beast in this series and um, whether 
or not we're supposed to care. Um, uh, I I don't, um, which is disappointing because all the books so far have been really fun. But uh, yeah, this just felt like we we're, we're back to to business as usual. And I found myself thinking, why do I care about any of this business? It, it really uh, it just didn't do a lot for me. I guess I'm having something a little bit similar to that, but I'll, I'll frame it a little bit differently, which is that I think the book is asking an interesting question, which we're going to dig into as our first topic, which is what is X Force really? What is it philosophically? What role does it serve? Who should it be? But because it's asking that question from the position of having really exploded its cast, like the last couple of pre-X of Swords issues were very like Domino's doing this, Colossus is doing this, Beast is doing that. And because it has quite suddenly become so interrelated with Wolverine as a title, it kind of feels like I don't even understand what this is really like what am i here yeah. for who who is the star what is it about like i just felt really confused and i kept trying to give it back the benefit of the doubt because i've really liked it up until x of swords and i do like all these individual cast members but i find i just found it kind of a little bit lacking center it did i did, couldn't tell if i was supposed to feel like beast was the center or gene was the center and not that every book needs a prohibitive title star, but I, I just felt like it was lacking a little bit of gravity in terms of what is this really about. Now, as the first issue of an arc, maybe that's fine. And, you know, when you read it in trade, maybe it's going to make a lot of sense. But as an individual issue, I think it left me feeling a little bit wanting. Yeah, I mean, it's not even the first issue of an arc. Is the ending of an arc is the beginning of an arc and... And you can is... feel the split in the middle. Yeah. It like, just snaps yeah. into like a Kit Kat. Like it's just, Correct. you know... <laughs> the, the transitions, narrative-wise, is really chunky. Yeah. I mean, art-wise, I also feel like Kasara might have like spent a lot of time in the two issues in the crossover. He's and probably it looks exhausted. a little bit rushed here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Although there was a this. lot of beautiful panels, but I it just are. didn't quite fit together this yeah it doesn't gel as well as you know those the last two issues that he did and that's a great point about just the uh the teams kind of being at every which way all over the place and us not Mm -hmm. being able to kind of have a focal point to kind of latch onto and and enjoy i think this team more than any is just it doesn't really feel like a cohesive unit and i do kind of forget where other people are while i'm reading it which isn't like a terrible thing but it is like always slightly disorienting um, and again, going back to the crossover, like I, I did, you know, I had to remember mid-issue that uh, we did end on a massive cliffhanger with mm-hmm. Quentin Quire and what have you. Yeah. And it's just like, he's yeah, absent it just doesn't, here, entirely yeah, absent. He's not here. I was like, we're, yeah, so it just, it doesn't really gel. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll say one which more thing about that. Of, oh, go uh, ahead. Tom. Sorry. I mean, which is kind of strange, right? Because Claremont does this type of issues a lot in his run. Like, he would jump from characters to characters. He would insert, like, plots, A plot, B plot, C plot, D plot in one issue. And it seldom feels this way. It seldom feels very disconnected or very disjointed. So, you know, I wonder, is it because we are so used to an arc form of storytelling in modern comics that... You know, now and then when this type of issues come out, we'll be like, oh, you know, I don't know what is happening. I don't know where it is going. Um, I don't know. Or maybe, you know, Percy is just um, um, not as good in this type of single issue type of um, stories, you know, the way he writes it. 
Well, just to pull that together a little bit, and then we'll kind of get into the whole mm-hmm. what's going on in the issue. I think before X of Swords, X Force in a way felt like the flagship. Like a lot of the big questions about what was happening on Krakoa were in X Force while Hickman was doing these one off stories in X Men. Mm-hmm. And I think because X Force's core stories were not X of Swords core stories at all, now it's just very disorienting because it's kind of like, wh- what yeah. are we talking about? Why does this matter? <laughs> like it feels like X of Swords and the resurrection stuff and all of that was mm-hmm. like such a big deal. And then we come back here and it's kind of like Beast is like, oh, we're just going to resurrect Omega Red. And th- it doesn't really feel like it connects to what just happened. So that's disorienting. Maybe within an issue, we're going to get back to it feeling like the center ring of Krakoa. And of course, I'm rooting for it because I've actually really enjoyed it. But it just doesn't feel like that here. But here's the interesting question, which is the other side of some of our reactions to this. What is X-Force? And now let's talk about it in terms of in the story, right? Because there's a big split, several splits, really, within X-Force here. There's the split of the enforcement side and the intelligence side, right? So Logan is extremely wary of Beast. He doesn't want to let Beast in and kind of the interrogation of Colossus, who is Logan's man, right? Colossus was part of the enforcement side of this body. So there's a split between the two sides. But then even within the intelligence side, there's a split between Beast and Jean. Jean, you just get the sense, is like done with Beast. She says to him, you know, she won't let him in the interrogation. Wolverine's to keep him out. And afterwards, she tells him that Colossus is not going to ask for an apology, Beast, but I'm going to demand you give him one. Of course, I love sassy Jean, so I enjoyed that (laughs) moment. But let's talk a little bit about the the fracturing of X-Force and like what was it and what should it be given how at odds all these characters are with each other. Well, it's the eternal question of these X-Force books, right? It's like, what kind of bad things will you do for a good cause? And mm. in this context, it's what will you do to protect your nation? What will you do to protect Krakoa? You know, are you going to turn Omega Red into a sleeper agent and throw him out to the vampires and figure it out and tear Colossus's mind up and what have you if it protects XYZ? And, you know, I think the book had a good opening start with the first issue showing Professor X getting shot and showing, hey, there are serious threats. We need to get you know, dark and grim and gritty to fight these threats and what have you. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it's like, it's a question we've seen in X-Force a lot over the last few series. So, I mean, I really enjoy the, um, the way Beast is turning out to be kind of, um, morally really, really gray. And it's deep in the gray at this yeah. point. <laughs> He's <laughs> well, I mean, pretty gray. He is. And then I feel like Gene is basically saying, you know, I'm done with this. I can't stand this. And, you know, I'm done with the counselor too. I am an X-Men. And mm-hmm. this is, I think, where she departs from X-Force. She, she, she's, she, she, she's already done with, like, the council. So I think Scott and Jean is going to head another team. And that team might really be, you know, just superheroes type of stuff. And I, I mean, that's, that's my feeling here. And um, Wolverine is being Wolverine. Well, is being Wolverine as written by Percy, which is, you know, a savage, um, not really high intelligent Wolverine here, which is something that Damn. I dislike. <laughs> Well, I I have a very different take than some of the things that you gentlemen have said. So that's what makes these interesting. Um, So I think that point about like, where are the X-Men is really interested. And I'm not really interested in in continuing to critique the issue. I mean, it's here. So we can, but I'm interested in in what X-Force means on the island. And I think anytime that we've thought back to a previous X-Force or any super tough version of the X-Men that we've had, whether it's been called X-Force or not, it's always in contrast to the X-Men, 
right? Like you always need one to define the other, not only from us as readers, but within the world, right? X-Force is doing something the X-Men are not willing to do. But now we've taken away the X-Men. We have all these databases saying like that, the X-Men's a dirty word, don't call them X-Men, we're all just mutants. And even if they're not calling this group X-Force, like, yet they're still trying to build the structure around the void of where the X-Men are, usually. And so it's it's creating interesting things. You know, you have a character like Colossus or Wolverine or even Jean who likes to operate in a much more straightforward way. And you saw that's happened in this title, right? Where, like, she's like, let's go negotiate with them. Let's go talk to the ruler of this nation. But, but at the same time, the same group of people is in charge of the subterfuge side, which usually X-Men gets to, like, disavow more cleanly. So I think that this is really interesting because it shows that, like, in the birth of the nation, because it's the same people that are responsible for the same things, there's no clean break. And so you keep, they keep getting turned over and being on the opposite sides of each other because they're trying to like create this thing that needs the gravity of the X-Men in the middle of it. And to me, that's actually what makes this issue and all the previous issues and this new Gene and Beast split fascinating. It's not just like Beast is morally gray, like we've seen that before. To me, it's kind of like Beast is trying to do this X-Force thing that he knows is required. Gene is trying to do this X-Men thing that nobody is doing. And those two strategies don't go with each other at all. So that's, I, I want to come back and talk about Wolverine stuff, but I want to see what your reaction is to that idea. That's a really, really good way to kind of position this divide between ideologies. But then, you know, you, I do think like, you know, what does X-Force look like without a counterbalancing team? That's, right. that's a really interesting idea. But of course, now we're going to have the X-Men again. So is that going to be followed up on and, and developed with, with Jean Moore? Or is she going to stay relegated with this book? I mean, I think kind of seeing how it actually plays out kind of determines how much this idea kind of has weight, I guess, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think Jean pushing Colossus into the Intel side is saying that Colossus can 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 be that role. I am not 100% sure that he is the right person here. Me neither. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, I feel like um, Colossus is really um, doesn't have a well, I mean, Percy doesn't have a pretty good... I mean, he has a good... Uh, he has a certain way of writing Colossus, which does not feel very right to me. Sad. Um, sad, suicidal, maybe a little bit. And he's definitely also, being written as very depressed. Yeah. yeah. Like he, he's well, not getting from Krakoa what so many other people are, seem to be getting from Krakoa. Exactly. Yeah. And also, I feel that... Um, be, Okay, there is one one scene transition here where Colossus walk away and Beast is like, oh, there's still one more thing, right? We, When I first read it and then the cut to the beach scene with Domino being the main character, the first thing that popped into my mind was that, oh, did Beast learn that Colossus actually changed Domino's wishes instead of the recruitment thing, which I later came, uh, later it became... Um, what I thought, you know, that particular cut mean, that meant, like, be saying that, oh, there's one more thing, I need to recruit you to my side, as opposed right, to... Right, but it almost implied that, like, it, you know, if that was a movie, and if somebody said, and there's one more thing, yeah. that would be in the next scene, probably. Exactly. But here, the one more thing was kind of meant as, like, and now we're gonna do that off screen, and this is, like, a hard cut. Yeah. And, you know, in a movie, we would have, like, cut to a more establishing shot or whatever, but because it cuts right in on Domino... It, it feels like that's what he's talking about 
Yeah. Almost, yeah. So I wonder she's if in the next deliberate. It's not like a panel yeah. of a of the. No, beat. it's not. So yeah. it could be right. It could be a feint. Like the thing he did, he need to actually talk about Domino. Actually, yeah, which is not what Gene sent him to talk about, and which is which is not what Gene wants as a replacement for her right. on the Intel side. So that makes this whole thing even more, you know, interesting or more fuck, more messed up. So, <laughs> well, and also again, like I think this kind of rotates us back to where we started this part of the discussion. Gene is trying to make the X Forcey side more X Meny. She sent Colossus. Mm. He's not going to do the thing to justify, no. you know, the whatever the actions are. He's all yeah. heart. Gene makes a good point that like he's well placed and he's in Russia and he mm. can help you figure this thing out. But she, you know, it's kind of like she's fundamentally not the right leader to be involved in that. Even though I trust her as a character to be a leader of many things in X. But it, it's just an interesting statement about kind of like you can have amazing people with amazing talents put in amazing effort and they can still be the wrong person, which I yeah. think is really fascinating, you know, in, in the modern day business context and, and when, when you need things from your friends, but also very much with these characters in comic books. Just because Jean is smart and competent does not mean she's going to get this right. And Peter, because you are a huge Jean fan, let me ask you this question. Like when Jean cho- chose to leave before the murder happens. What is your take on that? Oh, well, like, let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, is this Gene trying to stay ideologically pure, right? Is this hands her yeah. saying, yeah. I, I'm not... Because she's done it before. She, one time, mm-hmm. she's gotten her hands dirty in this series, and she was quite specific that she was like, I really do not wish to be here for this exactly. part of the mission. Yeah. So I, I absolutely read it that way, and I and I thought it. it's kind of like... How can she say that she's in charge of this group or has a say in this group and then be like, but I'm actually not going to stay here to get my hands dirty. It's really kind of proof that Jean doesn't fit in and we're going to continue seeing these gears grind, right? Yeah. That is a nice part of this book is seeing the friction kind of get greater and greater as these personalities are just not clicking um it, it definitely feels odd it's like as a book we're like ha- a big member of the team just doesn't fit but like it is an interesting thing to chew on uh which is something going for it but let's talk but, a little bit about that murder yeah that yeah. murder right murder. so because yeah. there's levels so yeah. <laughs> for those of, for those of you who don't remember and i went and had a refresher even though i've read these issues many times over omega red Rather than adamantium, the Russians couldn't figure that out, and so he has carbonadium, which is what his mm-hmm. coils are made of. That's not his mutant power. They're like Wolverine's yeah. claws. He exudes like a death factor. It's a whole thing. But the carbonadium is unstable, and it slowly poisons him. And so he's constantly using his healing factor slash death factor to replace that energy that the carbonadium is causing. And so he's always looking for this freaking MacGuffin, the carbonadium <laughs> synthesizer, ever since his introduction by Jim Lee in, mm-hmm. in 1991 and 1992. And yeah. so Beast's big revelation here is the vampires, who apparently have deep pockets and, and know everybody, <laughs> yeah. put a carbonadium synthesizer in Omega Red, but he's under their spell. So we yeah. can break their spell, but then he's going to do whatever the F he wants because he's got the carbonadium synthesizer in. Or we can try to use it to our advantage since he's assuming and he's Enspelled, ensorcelled to think yeah. that it's there, which I think created one of the most interesting things that's happened in X Force, which is this data page argument between X Force, Xavier, and, and yes. the Five yeah. about if any of this is ethical at all. <laughs> we don't and do for, this. It, for it to come from the Five, yeah, 
Which are like, you know, basically young mutants except for Proteus. Yeah, talk about it. It's it something. I mean, yeah. it is something because it's like, it's like, is it because the five are morally more pure or is it because they are just naive? And but column A and column B, like they do seem like children, especially in that, that, fr- that framing of like uh, the, the adults doing some darker things and the kids just not being comfortable with it. Uh, I, I thought that was a, a brilliant page. It really like you, you feel uneasy when you're realizing that Xavier is just railroading them and is like, we are doing this. That also, our like, X-Force is doing this. Yeah, like counter-objection. Like, <laughs> you know, at first it was just funny, but then when there was a counter-objection, I'm like, oh no, this is actually really tense. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, geez, yeah. I, that That's an interesting part. It's interesting seeing how this morally murky team plays with the rest of the island mm-hmm. and sort of how they, you know, you don't really see a lot of like how other mutants feel about this this team and like, you know, actions like this where they're kind of tweaking Omega Red in a pretty gross way, I feel. Or, or mm-hmm. uh, it opens the door for more gross things. Yeah, that it opens the door for, for, I mean, in the name of national security, mm-hmm. they can do anything. But I mean, can, oh, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I don't have to give any real life examples because everyone knows there are plenty of those examples out there. Mm. But then contrasted with, as you rightfully brought up, Domino and Colossus already conspired to subvert a part of the Resurrection Protocols. That was not overt and as dictated by X-Force, but this whole book is kind of about what happens when the rules that we made for everybody shouldn't apply to everybody. And now, and and even if the five didn't realize it at the time, they were a party to that one too. Mm-hmm. And now the problem, I mean, the other the other thing also is that it specifically says that this resurrection um, author is me, the beast, not Omega Red. Yeah. He has no say in this. So that, and then, you know, and, and for Gene to say, I'm not going to be here to hear whatever plans you have. And for Beast to get the support from the you know, arguably the top man of Krakoa, that that seems like a really dangerous precedence because he's getting support from the top man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, and just, you know, that data page ends with Xavier saying, to clarify, unless otherwise noted, X-Force has absolute authority on this matter. But this brings us back to the top of the discussion. Who is X-Force? <laughs> because Gene left the freaking room. Wolverine is not trying to be an ambassador to anybody. No. Xavier is kind of put... And Black Tom is busy ta- eating poop. Poop. Um, so <laughs> we've basically put Beast in charge of this entire yeah. operation by default yeah. here. It's really... Beast has like a free... He's just got a check to do whatever he wants. And he seems very into you doing whatever he wants. I, I can't imagine that'll go well. But, you know. Well, and mm-hmm. now comes the hard cut to what I refer to as <laughs> beach stuff. Beach so as Tyler, <laughs> you know, brought up earlier, this issue really just feels like two halves of, of something that's been snapped into and doesn't go back mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And uh, so then all this stuff happens and the beach scene has been teased a little bit, but then it kind of all comes to a head. So Tyler, like, mm-hmm. I even had trouble following it. What is your perception of what has been set up here and what occurs here at the end of this issue? I mean, from what... I mean, my sense was that Krakoa expelled something 
that he um he does not want that you know it could be a cancerous cell it could be a tumor mm. or something that he basically say you know this is hurting me i'm going to expel it and mm. that's how that that's what that black um blob is that he threw mm. basically almost killed the children who were playing there <laughs> because yeah. the cliff collapsed and things like that um and then for that particular um cancerous thing to be alive and taking over living creatures um you know it feels a a lot like um terra verde hmm. because you know and because that is also plant-based i wonder if you know spores or anything was sort of hitchhiking it back from the um the adventure there you know where black tom was basically there yeah. to um to 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 stop the entire thing and i mean the entire um the entire x-force team is there and you know that brings me back to this whole issue of um of 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 krakoa not thinking through every step of the way because there is no quarantine zone there is no security checkpoint it's just point to point krakoa gates so everyone anyone can comes in with a right, disease there's no biosecurity yeah there's no security <laughs> at all and that you know i mean in again in real life example you know that's how australia got decimated um you know so much of australia became a desert because of that because there was no check. There was no quarantine. They accidentally brought over, I think, um, uh, rabbits, which has no competitors and which breeds like crazy and basically, you know, destroy a large part of the ecosystem before, you know, people managed to stop it. And Krakoa is slightly different because it's living. Uh, it's a living creature. But, you know, I think as we can see here, something happens that Krakoa doesn't want and Krakoa expels out of himself. And that turned into something that is attacking, uh, you know, whatever living creatures it comes across. So, and poor Rufus. Aww. Oh, maybe he'll come back. You don't know. And where's Pip? <laughs> well, Pip is Domino's dog. You know, in in the Domino's, the most recent Domino series. Mm. So, well, I'm glad it's not on the beach because that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am curious where the rot comes from because this definitely feel you know the idea of like something in Krakoa, some kind of rot affect rots affecting uh, humans outside, and they're being careless and letting it happen. I mean, that does feel like something that that be pretty interesting and be fits well in this book and with this art style, especially. I think it, that yeah. was drawn really well. Well, and also, I mean, this is, it is mirroring what's happening in the rest of the plot. I know I teased that, like, the beach scene feels separate because I just, I felt it hard to get a handle on the, what was the growth? Why was the growth? I really needed Tyler to, like, walk me through what, <laughs> if it could have been external or internal. But um, it is kind of a metaphor, right? For, like, the poison mm -hmm. that's within this whole team. Things aren't gelling. People are, Gene departs, the island yeah. ejects this black mass. I mean, there are thematic parallels between these two pieces and we yep. end with you know yet again x-force is is repelling something from the shores of krakow but this time it might be something that originated from inside of krakow which is a very different spin to the vampires and the russians and terra verde and all of these other things that they've dealt with to date yeah, i feel like clearly this 
books going reach heading towards somewhere where like these all these actions are going to have some kind of consequence that uh none of them are are seeing coming and i feel like maybe Mm -hmm. the the rot could be that i don't know if it's gonna be relegate (laughs) i feel like someone's gonna pay for some some of this i feel like it might be beast i don't think that's a crazy (laughs) prediction to make but yeah i think you're right that's it's kind of like a metaphor it's it's pretty strong as a metaphor and so he's going to be the the pillow for victor yeah, I mean, he's in the book. He's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm the best, and it's like, all right, man. Well, this is the none second of his past time he decisions said that. should have given him yeah, any reason for pause. <laughs> like, oh, Beast, you've never been wrong besides like the last ten years of Marvel comics. Like, this has been your arc for a decade, man. Please just stop doing this but i think you know, that's I why know. yeah oh go, go, on. go ahead no i just that's kind of like just as a quality thing that's just kind of thing i'm annoyed with beast in this character because it kind of yeah. feels like they're treading retreading the same ground with him a little bit where it's just him feeling like he knows more than others and like bendis did this this was a part of hickman's new avengers like it just feels kind of familiar but um, yeah. i guess that's his character now so well and i i really for that reason and because i know there are beast fans out there right mm-hmm. like that really mm-hmm. enjoy him i really want to get to a point that this issue teases us getting to where he says look you can go and play x-men but some of us have been around long enough where we know that we've got to do the things that are that are wrong and i never thought i was going to be a member of x-force because if you think back to fractions run on uncanny x-men he mm-hmm. leaves because mm-hmm. scott establishes x-force and i think it would actually be a really full circle moment for beast to say like you know, I've played the role of the person who thinks they knows best, but now I'm just doing what needs to be done, Gene. And I think that would actually really hit for me because I would be like, whoa, there's a journey that Beast has been on since like 2009 that we've brought all the way around. So I'm hoping yeah. it's that and it's not just like Beast knows best, but that that he really <laughs> recognizes that he's somebody's got to do it. To me, Beast yeah. thinking somebody's got to do it is a different version of that than Beast knows best. I think, yeah, I think he owns it eventually. That would be a really interesting place to take it. Uh, I hope that's what they do instead of uh, I'm the best and I'm going to keep making great choices and it'll never come back to haunt me or anyone on Krakoa. Never. (laughs) But yeah. So final final appraisal of this issue, did, did digging into some of the thematic stuff help us warm up a little bit on it or are we still a little uneven on this issue of X Force? I like this book a lot more now that you've kind of made your pitch about it, Peter. <laughs> no, I think it's it's um it's got a lot of great parts. It's got a lot of interesting stuff. I love the art. I love how, as an aside, I love how cavalier the book is with how expendable these bodies are now in this new world where you can regrow someone. So Quentin Quire gets hacked up, or we just yank something out of Omega Red, and it's 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 just like a neat thing. There's all these neat little things, and but I don't feel like this issue in particular came together in any real way. Um, you know, I'm not going to like drop the book, but I hope, I hope it picks up. Mm-hmm. Tyler. I, I mean, I am still about the same as I started. I mean, I, I don't hate the issue. I just feel like there is some, um, it could be a lot smoother in, in certain areas of it. And, um, I, I mean, I'm obviously a fan of Kasara's art, yeah. so I'm not complaining. Um, and I can understand how, you know, coming off from two really intense issues can be a little bit draining. And um, so, you know, a little bit, I mean, the art is still, it's not bad at all. It's just not as good as the past two issues because those past two issues were like excellent. It was best, like amazing. It's the best part of the crossover, I felt, just yeah. that art and those two issues. Like he, he owned it. So I yeah I agree I think it's a little less strong but it's still yeah. very good. 
Yeah, and I just want to point out that at least for me, the art, it's not that the panels weren't as good. It was that mm -hmm. the paneling wasn't as good. Like he did so many amazing page layouts and page breakups in there. This is a little bit more standard, like, okay, let me maybe let me follow the script a little bit more closely. <laughs> but there are still standout panels. As we've been talking, I have these last two beast scenes in front of me on the monitor. I love that scene of Domino looking out over the ocean from the low angle over Black Tom in, as the sand mermaid. I that <laughs> final page of everything bursting out of the waves. But then yeah. also earlier, like Jean putting her hand into Cyclops or Colossus's Colossus. head yeah. and then Colossus's final walking away and just all the reflection on his face. That's one of my favorite Colossus panels, I think, of all time. So yeah. I think there's great panels. I just don't know if it like felt as together. But to me, mm -hmm. actually, to put a cap on it for me, this is a lot how I felt about X-Force 1. I hated X-Force number 1 before I really came around <laughs> on this book. <laughs> and it was too. for similar reasons. I didn't really feel like the art like quite all together came together. I didn't feel like the cast all together came together. So this is kind of the start of X-Force year two, and we're going to get stuff that was as good as year one in year two, and that we just needed this kind of janky issue to yeah. get us there. Then great. So I look forward <laughs> to another issue and seeing what the, as yeah. the Krakoan language says at the end, Tyler, what does it say? Sea monster. Sea monster. So I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see if it really is a sea monster, if it's <laughs> yeah. really been a Krakoa monster or a Terra Verde monster yeah. all along. And also the funny thing is I kind of want to see a little bit more of Bro Forge. <laughs> Same. <laughs> That's a great moment. I love Forge in this book. I want yeah. like, he's he's a he's a lot of fun in it. New Mutants number 14. Let's talk about first and overall impressions before we dig into this and oh boy is there a lot to dig into but Tyler why don't you go first um overall I think that New Mutants is good but not as good as the issues that came out past two weeks in you know I mean um is it is missing a little bit of you know that magic touch that X Factor has that sword has um so you know in some ways you know i feel bad saying that because i kind of enjoyed the issue i just feel that it's not as strong as you know the offerings that came right after the crossovers but i think i mentioned it before the art of reese looks so much like sinkavish here that is kind of like scary. <laughs> scary, good. Not scary, bad. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's for me. Harry? Yeah, you know, this is a really pleasant book. Um, it definitely feels low stakes. And you're right, Tower, compared to others, it doesn't have that kind of like thrust or kind of specialness, I guess. But like reading it, I just kind of had a really nice time like kind of catching up with a bunch of like characters I hadn't seen in a while that are all basically on like a summer camp adventure. That's basically what this book is. And, uh, you know, the art's really, really great. And, um, it's raised, raises some interesting questions about the, uh, this culture they're all nurturing there. And, um, yeah, it just, it's it just like a nice time. And I know that sounds like it's a back kind of compliment, but I honestly don't see it that way. I, I just, I enjoyed myself. Well, I want to make a bold statement here, which is that I think Vita Ayala came in here with possibly the most interesting set of plot points 
that we have seen of all of the books that have come out after X of Swords, and we're going to get into them. But any, I mean, we're talking Shadow King, we're talking Mutant Synergy, we're talking clone problems. Like, yeah. this is what we all want, Heart I questions. think. Right? <laughs> the big ones, yeah. I think on execution, there's a certain looseness to this where some of the stuff just needs to be a little bit differently considered. Like, just certain captions didn't hit how they could have. Certain voices when there were a lot of people on the panel didn't hit how they could have. But I'm I'm feeling optimistic because I think this is the, the right story, and I think this makes good use of the fact that this book is New Mutants. I think, you know, there's a chance to turn New Mutants into, like, yet another team of a bunch of young people kind of wandering around in a circle. And I think that Brazan did a good job of, like, being like, let's use these characters for a reason and not just make them the ancillary young X-Men team when there's no X-Men. And this gives me hope that, that we're going to deal with some plots that are very much tied to New Mutants history and that some plots that very much feel like they belong to this cast. So on execution, did I love it? No. But on like, are we moving in the right direction? Do I love it? Actually, quite a bit. Okay. So this is this is still on track for your top um, Dots Rocks title. I I mean, if we're all being honest in our hearts, Hellions is the best book, right? <laughs> like, who's can anybody honestly raise their hand and say that they're not already thinking about what's going to happen in the next issue of Hellions? <laughs> I close my eyes and see Sinister. Yeah, That's all that happens just, in my life. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no, Hellions to. now is in the pole position. I think, like, everybody okay. has got to beat the absolute... Not just... But here's... This is a good point. I was talking about this on the... Um, the Reddit, former Reddit comic books Discord server, which I really should start staying away from, from before the episodes, but at least this week the idea came from me. Mm. There's this idea that um, Hellions is so fascinating, not just because Sinister is so wicked, but because Hellions is throwing out a lot of plot, right? We got Maddie, we got mm. this team, what's going on with Nanny? Sinister's up to something. So, like, it, it's just flinging a lot of little things out, and then it's capitalizing on them pretty quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. other books are picking up on them, which is exciting. And I think that that's actually part of what I'm responding to in this New Mutants issue, as is I'm like, let's start some bad stuff here. Let's let's put some bad things into motion. Because that's what makes Hellion so fun. And it does kind of feel like there's starting to be a little bit of a synthesis now between like X-Factor and Hellions and maybe between this and that. Yeah. And that's what we want. We want these books to kind of yeah. start clumping together, not in a way that makes you have to read them all, but in a way that makes it exciting to read them all. And so like yeah. we joke and say how great Hellions is, but there's a, it's not just because it's funny. It's because of the things that Wells is doing. And I think maybe AL might be headed in that direction here, which is getting me like intrigued. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. All right. Yeah. Which starts and ends with the Shadow King. So, uh, I mean, I think we have to start with, why did they bring back the Shadow Who, what? Yeah. So, so I was like, is he really back? And Harry went and found the panel, which was from what? Empire X-Men number two. It's the, uh, the crossover uh, that just ended recently before X of Swords and... Uh, just in the background. And well, the that's scene. not a crossover. That's an event. I am sorry. You're right. An event. That's an event tie-in. <laughs> it's X-Men Plants versus Zombies. That's okay. Let's yeah, get it yeah. straight. And it was it's a tie-in to the popular mobile game. And I remember reading it when it came, when it came out. <laughs> I would watch that so hard. Um, no, like when when, it, when the book came out, like you see all the villains walking out, and I'm like, that's the Shadow King in the background. That seems like a bad call to bring him back, but uh, he's here and he looks great. So, <laughs> but I, we so, kind of have to separate between Shadow King and Farouk, yeah. right? That's part yeah. of what's I feel so like, fascinating about this. Exactly. 
I I mean, for me, I feel like okay, this is another rehabilitation of a villain, because you start him off with a sad story, and then he got somehow hooked up with the you know the 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 um demon forces of Shadow King, you know, because I think for the longest time we associate Farouk as the Shadow King, but I feel like even from the beginning. You know, Claremont may have written them as, I, I I mean, written Farouk as a host body of the Shadow King instead of them being, you know, one and the same. And I'll admit, you would have to be a real expert in like pre-revolution, late 300s Uncanny X-Men and like Cywar and Psylocke um, capturing the Shadow King and her psyche and all that yeah. to like really explain this well which i'm certainly not i don't know is anyone or either of the two of you (laughs) not 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 my particular focus we'll get there eventually so um so i'm not saying that i'm the right person to explain that particular slice of continuity but i do think that it's interesting because of the legion tv series if anybody watched that which is Mm -hmm. spectacular and uh and that really focused on how scary emil farouk can be as a person separately from his scariness as the Shadow King. And so I think that's part of what, there's some allure to this here. Like, yeah, it's a retcon, maybe. Yeah, it's making us feel a little sympathetic to him. But, like, if we can actually make a distinction between, like, him and the reason he's like his and the reason he's independently scary and then the scariness of the Shadow King, I actually think that that's potentially really interesting. And what this intro kind of reminds us or gives us for the first time, depending on how well you know this material, is, um, is like, Emil Farouk was a mutant with powers, even before this whole Shadow King jam unfurls. What's interesting is that you're both pointing out different paths this can take where it can be a real rehabilitation of a villain to become more of like a crack-home citizen or it's an exploration of a villain's humanity to show a a more intimate kind of villainy and, and cruelty and what have you. Uh, I didn't know that... Um, I didn't. I wasn't aware of most of what y'all said. I knew the Shadow King. <laughs> I knew the Shadow King who he was and kind of like his whole deal. But I wasn't aware that um, it was kind of like he was bonded with an entity like that. Uh, but it, it, it worked really well for me that entire scene that kind of like showed uh, him before he got all uh, evil. Mm-hmm. I was going to say teethy, but that's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but then you know, um, Iyala dropped like hints of things happening on Krakoa, probably due to influence of either Farouk or the Shadow King. So so then, you know, I don't know if 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 the the they are actually trying to rehabilitate him. Or, you know but then if not, what is he doing here? Like what is he doing on Krakoa? <laughs> What's your deal? <laughs> and yeah. wouldn't you think that he would be one of those people that they like right after that mission they would be like yeah. Come this way, please, sir. Come this way. Yeah, yeah like, you need to we, leave. we've got to, yeah, yeah, you need to leave. It's, it just seems like a little bonkers to, um, to, to let that roll. But, but let's actually put a pause on that because Tyler talked about things happening on the island. I want to talk about the island and the things happening and Krakoa as a society. So here's my thesis statement for this portion of our, of our discussion. The X-Men used to be synonymous in one way or another with a school. They're always, you know, coming back to the mansion, which was an academy or being based out of places that were a school. Or even when it's not a school, they're like, what are we going to do about the students? You know, mm-hmm. it's always kind of a drumbeat, right? Here's the first time that the X-Men is a society that doesn't necessarily have a distinct school. And yet, more than ever, mutants 
have to be responsible for the protection of the race, not just as soldiers, but as part of this growing idea of mutant dynamos. It is all about synergy. If we go back yeah. to Powers of X, that was the whole thrust of what we learned in in the, all of the charts about the kind of levels of society, and mm -hmm. that if mutants are ever going to kind of achieve escape velocity, escape from their hatred and fear and potential extinction, they have to form these ever-growing dynamos. It's about synergy. So now we have this very interesting di dichotomy where it's not all about school, not everybody has to become a soldier, but if you relax those bonds too much, do you lose the ability to get to the place that Krakoa needs to go? Which, in terms of fascinating ideas that this book has thrown out, we've known this kind of thrum in the background about this topic, but I really feel like here with the letter that the New Mutants, or the former New Mutants, send to Xavier, characterizing how the youth are doing on the island, it really brings it into crystal clear focus of like, they're not going to survive. Morris' 10th life is not going to work unless the kids have some direction. Are the kids all right? Tyler. I mean, that's the the take that I have, I, I took from from this synergy thing um, is exactly what you said. And I mean, I, ha I had the same kind of um, feeling when I was reading Sword last week. Because mm, talk about that. With, there's a connection they, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, I think um, so far in Dogs and Rocks, they, they're the first one that mentioned um, mutant as a machine, right? So they were melding them together. They were doing things like that. And um, I mean, not melding them together, but like, you know, using Their the powers, powers together, right. yeah. you know, in a, okay. in, in a synchronized, in a, in a synergistic way. Mm -hmm. So um, in, 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 in this sense, I think it is good that the new mutants or you know the um the former new mutants and warpath you know in his oh so casual um attire <laughs> is like trying to train younger yeah. mutants to <laughs> to to work together um i mean i do question a, a couple of things like you know why are they not um studying like you know for I mean, what you future just... studying for what career like yeah, what well, that's well they're on an island that grows them bagels. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> what do you need to do after that? You're done. <laughs> You've but made it. If bagels grow on trees. Would any of us need a <laughs> career? I'd like, never you know. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, but knowledge is still important, I right. think. Like, I mean, if you don't know things, you can make new things. Well, that's what's... That's, uh, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. And that's what's so thoughtful about this book, right? Is that saying, you know, all right, we, we're at a new island. It's a, it's a mutant paradise. It's, it's a haven. It's utopia. But it's like, all right, so like, what do you do? And the yeah. answer they say is, well, we're probably going to be lazy and not have focus and kind of, as you were saying, not be what we're meant to be with the dynamos. And it's just like a very thoughtful idea, like where to take this book. And, and to talk about the connection with, Seal, with uh, S.W.O.R.D. with the synergy, I, I like that this is kind of talking about the same ideas but in the execution, it's just so much more kind of like down to earth, relaxed. It's not so high minded. It's just looking at all these characters using their powers in different ways. And it's showing like these, this idea of like mutant synergy and kind of evolution in a very, in a much more like character based way, which I think is fun. But yeah. is it done in a good way here? I think it's an, I think it's a different approach, which I appreciated on those merits, I think this book has got some execution problems that are separate from that. But like, I, I, I liked how relaxed it was. It really was just like, check out what 
you know, these two mutants can do together. Check out what happens if, you know, we have a, a robot suit all of a sudden. And it's like, it's, it's, it's all those crazy high-minded ideas that we just had in S.W.O.R.D. that were great, but it's just, it's kind of being presented in a, in a more human way, so to speak. And I think, too, that um, it's cyclical, right? Like, these kids are here, they don't have direction, they're not learning, they're not learning to use their powers, they're not learning from the history of the X-Men. Here we have the Shadow King, who was at the root of so many problems with the X-Men in the past, and they're susceptible because, for the same reason that the X-Men were susceptible in the past, because they're not learning from our past. Mm-hmm. And then especially when you plug in that Mora had a huge connection with that Shadow King plot, potentially used Shadow King and Legion, or Legion was used by the Shadow King and Mora or something to kill Destiny, and all of a sudden you have this very interesting interwoven tale about, like, can we actually improve if we're falling prey to the same thing we did before, which is the Shadow King extending his influence, which brings us to the team and their nightmares. So we open on this delightful scene of Danny and Karma, two characters I love, two characters who are here being treated as though their psychic powers kind of make them the de facto therapists for the team. Danny, because she can bring out people's worst nightmares, and so she has a sense of their fear. And Zan, because she has um, to subvert people's wills, so they understand she understands what their wills are or can be. And so we have them kind of doing this talk therapy for each other, which is really interesting, and getting into Karma's nightmares, which have happened before X of Swords, but Mm -hmm. continue, and they're just taking different shapes, and there's a boy in her nightmares who she recognizes but cannot place, and the boy hates her. Tyler, what is happening here? I mean, my first thought was like, oh, it has to be Shadow King. I mean, it has to be linked to that, because Karma, for, um, uh, for a while was actually under the influence of Shadow King and yeah. she grew and Shadow King, you know, made her grow really, really big and fat. And um And so maximize the use of her powers such that she had yeah, many, many people true. enthralled. Not just her normal like I got I have this one I person. Got one, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, but then the representation of of, of the person that hates her in Kama's dream is dressed, I think it, what looks like a Japanese attire. So I'm not sure if the link is totally there with Shadow King because of that, hmm. um, the boy. Um, so that's the part which sort of like threw me off a little bit. So I'm not 100% sure if this is Shadow King or this is something else. Well, and there's also the interesting idea that if, if canonically, like we have to decide if the Shadow King was there all along or if they just brought him out a deep freeze for Empire... And, like, if her dreams would have predated that, and if this dream was a troubling dream for Karma, no matter what, but now it's being kind of infected even worse, that's that's why I like this, because there's layers. And we kind of get the sense that they've all been having trouble resting. You know, Rain Rain says, you know, when it gets to be too much, which with Rain could really be about anything. uh, Because she, I mean, Rain is too much. Her whole life, unfortunately, (laughs) as a character, has been too much. But they're all going through trauma, and that's kind of the whole hallmark of this original era of New Mutants is like they've all been birthed through drama so of course they're all having bad dreams as opposed to these 
these kids on the island who they're supposed to be raising in this utopia that where they shouldn't be having bad dreams, right? Mm-hmm. And so this all comes to a head, you know, with a lot of funny back and forth with Doug, with Magic, with Rain, and then Warpath arrives at the door, and he's kind of the odd man out here because he was recruited to be part of this training squad, but Warpath is not historically part of this group, and they've got him in some short shorts, too. It must be said. They yes, use they him do. as a sex object in this very deliberate way, <laughs> um, where it's, uh, you know, we get this great well, reverse of the female gaze female, on this guy, yeah. and he's complicit on, with it, because he's joking back. Yeah. And it's and it's really nice in a comic panel well, to get that gaze reversal, <laughs> I thought. You know? I, I was I was wondering, you know, since when did Forge give him gave him his shorts? It was the Forge outfit. <laughs> totally yes, it. It, was, it was totally the Forge outfit. I was thinking that. <laughs> That was a really well done page as well. I mean, he looked good. I That's it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't have the collar and everything like Forge, but it definitely was meant. I know. The shorts but, yeah, were meant he's to like, you know, it is more comfortable. He kind of looked like a <laughs> camp counselor, was... also. Yeah, like, that's his vibe in that scene. I'm into that that um, that muscle shirt with the blue bands and the yeah. X. I would wear it. That was cool. <laughs> I just don't necessarily want the athletic shorts with the. With that cut like necessarily. Fashion icon yeah. warpath here to <laughs> Well and here's a good point to take a take a breather and talk about the artwork. Tyler. Well, I mean, I mentioned it many times. So I, I want to hear what the two of you think think about the arts. Here. Uh yeah, I love Rod Reese, I think he's incredible. I think it's kind of my probably my favorite uh, portrayal of Krakoa because it is just the 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 nature, like this the forest area just seems so kind of warm and almost never ending and just it just seems ethereal in a way and you know i think his his fight scenes sometimes are a little stiff that's i don't i think he's kind of improving on that but just the the facial expressions in particular are are so good and for a book that's all about like little interactions like this it's just it's the perfect fit I also love that, you know, when we had him week after week with Noto during X of Swords, we were talking mm-hmm. about how clean and refined his look is here. But but here it's savage, which is part of a sink of its tradition. And he's, you know, noted as what made New Mutants really break through. And you can see it here in the way that Rice draws Warlock. Just this very misshapen, jagged, we get this one face floating over James's shoulder and you can't even decide what part of it is the mouth which is not a critique that's how Sinkovich drew him he was this very organic piece of technology mm-hmm. and I think also in the way that he kind of just draws slashes around everybody and kind of distorts the environment even though he's giving us this really great facial acting like that's what makes that connection with Sinkovich and mm-hmm. it shows what, the muscle that he's flexing because his X of Swords chapters were not really like this at all which brings us into the fight. And I would agree that he has a little bit of trouble in fights, especially with these characters that he's drawing here. First of all, he's got to draw eight characters fighting in the kids' yeah. version of the fight, and then another six with the New Mutants. And their powers are these very amorphous powers. We got liquid, we got rocks, we got dust. It's so a it kind crazy of, fight. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy <laughs> fight. And here's yeah. where I, I know I've been pretty positive so far, but I have to complain a little bit. I mm-hmm. don't, I don't have to, but I mean, I will. Um, I... I just don't know if either of these fights actually made sense as they were written and paneled. I didn't really understand what was happening in the kids' fight. And then the New Mutants fight was supposed to be this big thing about all their sweet combo moves. But the (laughs) caption boxes didn't really explain why it was so synergistic. And then the art didn't show really why. And then they also used an obscure use of Rain's power that just emerged in X-Men Blue. And so it kind of just like completely fell flat. I feel like there needed Mm. to be twice as many examples of synergy. The captions needed to be twice 
twice as long, and the art needed to, like, almost have a picture-in-picture, like, zoom in on the one thing that was happening, because even the most obvious one, which was Magic and Danny Moonstar synergy, Mirage, projections, range, extended by teleport dusk, I looked at that panel a hundred times, and I just don't understand how that's what we're seeing in that panel. So I (laughs) I really think the issue started to come apart a little bit for me during the fight. No, I mean I I completely agree. This is the this part is actually the weakest part. Yeah. And the other question I have also is not so much the art here, but why are they doing it in the wild um wild hunt well, is, area? Is this that yeah? Don't they have a danger area? They right? have a danger island. Yeah. Maybe this is specifically. Maybe, this is... <laughs> Maybe it's too dangerous for the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And they have Krakow. Well, I mean, uh, I was going to say they have Krakow and Gates to Stranger Room. That's true. (laughs) He does draw a great cat. Let's give him him credit for that. He draws a kitten in this. It's it's both very cute and then becomes like more warlocky. And he draws them both very well. Black lock. (laughs) (laughs) It's just cool. Well, but also yeah. that, like the synergy of of James and and Warlock is like Warlock makes a suit. Like we've seen that a hundred <laughs> times. The... Like what is like Warpath has other stuff about him. Like yeah. maybe he should have like reinforced his arm to make his strikes stronger. Or maybe he should have had his vibranium knives. Right? It just I don't know. It kind of just felt very kind of like discount bin quality comics to me in this middle section and it really bothered me because I'm like this was there's so many good ideas but I this know. is what I mean about execution there, there there were just better ways to get us there and it kind of robbed this issue of the impact it should have had which should have been all about synergy but it kind of exactly made me flustered which is the part which which is the part that brought this issue down from you know to to just good yeah because I mean this is a very confusing part and um well there's one thing you mentioned harry that you think that um Reese's art brought the warmth of krakoa i feel like noto's art is a little bit warmer interesting because of the color that he he used um especially in cable issue one yeah i felt that that was like really warm here i mean here we do get that um but you also get like you know the framing um the first part and the ending part with um shadow king which felt a little bit um cold and dark and you know getting a little bit more sinister as 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 the kids progresses towards him i also think royce here plays a lot with lighting and the idea mm-hmm. of kind of like magic hour you know it's like at the beginning of sunrise or at the height yeah. of sunset you get that magic hour where the light is almost kind of purpley gold and it's not just yeah. sunny and the entire fight is kind of bathed in that purpley gold sunlight color it never just feels like it's a bright sunny day and i think maybe that's kind of the warmth that almost feels like a more romantic version yeah. Of the landscape, like it's almost the kind of lighting you would want for like a date, but here they are having this fight. But then he takes that same kind of purple theme, and you can see it in the way that he silhouettes the back of the characters during Scout and or Honey Badger's big speech, which we'll get to in a second. And he maintains that purple through the end of the issue because purple generally is Shadow King's color on panel. And he turns it into this very lurid, it looks like a bruise. Um, kind of purpley blue awfulness. So I really loved the color continuity through the whole issue because the the purple ran through and it made it look very romantic and very pretty and very warm and then it made it look very creepy and very menacing. And it's actually the same palette, which is a really interesting thing to be able to accomplish in a twenty page comic book issue. Yeah. 
yeah, and it just. I mean, as you progress through, you still you also see the sun setting. Right. For some, yeah. So it gets progressively darker and darker and darker. That color scheme just makes Krakoa his version just seem so much otherworldly and and larger than than life, and it just it makes mm-hmm. it seem more fantastical, which I I just. I really am drawn to in all these books. And you're right that Noto also does a great job with it. But this just makes it seem more of like a completely different, you know, world, which is, um, you know, pretty cool to have in this. I mean, I just want Noto and Rice to just take turns. Like, they can just do a Kurt Cohen landscape book. Like, give me the... We talk about Hickman being the Dungeon Master guy, but really, just illustrate some backgrounds that I can throw up on my Zoom meetings of all of the different parts of the island, you know? that w- I would buy that. So now we come to a segment which I am going to call Honey Badger Do Care About the Ethics of Resurrection. Because we've been waiting all this time to A, just see Scout Gabby and anywhere, really. And we and if you've read Tom Taylor's All New Wolverine or X-Men Red, you have learned to love this character who herself is a clone of Wolverine Lara, who's not a clone anymore, but Gabby is a clone of her. And Clabby Gabby raises her hand here and says, you know, what happens if synergies make things more dangerous? And they're like, oh, it's gonna be fine. And then she's like, Yeah, but people die. And then they also say, Oh, that's gonna be fine. And she's like, Time out, y'all, because I'm technically a clone. Maddie Pryor is a clone from Hellions, and we word somehow trickled out that they're not going to resurrect her. And by the way, where is Evan, the clone of Apocalypse, who after some digging this morning, we realized died in Age of X-Men. We just thought he would have come back afterwards, but no, he's apparently still dead. So these clones are dropping like flies, and Honey Badger do care, because Honey Badger, Scout, Gabby, is a clone. Thoughts. Exactly. Finally, we're talking, having this conversation. <laughs> we're finally it's talking great. about the hot questions. It's great. It's super interesting. It's a great point she's bringing up because they have been doing this not very well. What who they decide to bring back or not, and like all of her points are super solid, like to the point that even Magic agrees. And it's just like, yeah, like I've been wondering myself, like what is the issue with the clones here? Why aren't we doing this? And like if they if they continue down this track, like I'm gonna be really happy about it. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely need to answer that question because, I mean, I don't buy Magic's explanation that, you know, oh, they didn't bring Maddie back because she's actively harmful to humans and mutants. I'm like, yeah, oh. says Magic. Let's yeah. remember who the other per- the other force in Inferno was, right? <laughs> That's a little yeah. bit less credible coming also, from Ileana Rasputin. I know. And freaking Apocalypse, you know, even if you're worried about having two copy, two versions of the same person, Apocalypse isn't even on Krakoa anymore. He's got like a timeshare in Iraq or whatever. He's not here. You can bring back Evan. You know, I love that character, so I want to see him back. But it's like, yeah, I feel like I really do love the through line of like the kids are not super happy with a lot of the established structures and rules of this new and, society and the, and, and the and lack then, of rules like the yeah. lack of definition yeah. they're like you're it's that classic kids versus parents thing right like it's kind of like you said not to do this but you're doing it like i um <laughs> always try to get my daughter to not bite her nails it's just not a great habit we can clip them and she caught me because when i play guitar sometimes it catches and i'm in the habit of just ah, when i'm playing guitar <laughs> i know it's not cute but i just do it because i have to turn the nail and she's like but you say not to bite your nails and then i had to be like well i'm playing guitar and i was a serious <laughs> musician it's different uh, trust but me. it's different and i and like the, the Viraela plays it perfectly here and it makes the new mutants have to be like oh shit are we the grown ups 
Like there's, yeah. and, that, and you see that on magic because Rice draws it beautifully. And then you get this great point as a reader where like, oh, magic's going to be reassuring now? That's a great situation. Because you no, can tell that she doesn't believe it in the slightest, at least in my read. Yeah. And then they zoom in on Scout's face. Like on Honey Badger's face, she's like, I guess. <laughs> like, I mean, okay. I'm like, oh my God. Well, and it, I mean, she, she also, I mean, Scout did not ask one question. Where is Jonathan? Yeah, we need our well, Wolverine. Yeah, we need yeah. all the pets on Krakoa. The pets are all missing. Tyler's ready for X-Pets editorial. I know he's been it. tough on you, but if you bring us an X-Pets one-shot, <laughs> X-Pets giant size, Tyler will get yeah, back definitely. and you'll be back in Tyler's good graces. But look, I, I want to—I can't let this clone thing go without one more go-around at the risk of making this a really long discussion. These are three very different clone issues that Gabby brings up. Gabby's a clone of Lara, but Lara treats Gabby as her own independent sister, and Lara would not have any ethical ethical quandary about saying Gabby is her own person even though we share a biology. Mm. Maddie and Jean have a tough distinction because Jean has Maddie's memories. And so we get into the idea of like if we bring Maddie back is she not just a piece of Jean, which is kind of the like classical clone problem that's been framed for us from the beginning of the rules that we got at the end of Hoxbox. And then we have Apocalypse and Evan where it's like Evan is absolutely a different person. The whole point yeah. of Evan yeah. is that there's a difference in nature and nur- nurture, but Apocalypse might have reasons that he would not want to allow his uh, bodily autonomy be such that there's a second apocalypse, which really could have screwed with a lot of X of Swords if Evan was already around. So it's a spectrum, right? It's a spectrum from complete acceptance and the, and w- being willing to kind of relinquish autonomy all the way to the total need to have control of autonomy. And it feels like Maddie exists in the middle. Am I am I reading that wrong? It feels very specific that Vita has chosen these three examples with with Gabby as her mouthpiece. I mean, they 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 definitely. Um chose them specifically for to to make a point right mm. and i'm not sure at this point i'm not sure if these points will be um you know i mean the distinctions between these characters will be made um you know i i just don't know uh, i have not read um their works um enough to to determine whether it will be follow up but um, like you, I'm really interested in seeing how this particular point is being explored, um, whether in depth or you know revisited multiple times mm. as things develop and happens in other issues. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Honey Badger. I'm not calling her Scout. I think Honey Badger is um, the, the 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 extra character for this arc. She's sticking around, so I'm hoping that it you know at the very least it plays out with her. But um, like on a personal level, if not affecting the laws as a whole and seeing some progress in those individual cases, um, and Apocalypse isn't isn't on the island. It doesn't matter. Bring Evan back. I, like he left. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know why well, this is the thing I'm stuck on, but whatever. Well, we it's but interesting because we kind of all each have our yeah. one that we're most fascinated <laughs> by, which is kind of what I was trying to get at there yeah. of, of why they're so well chosen. Mm-hmm. It's really thoughtful. Well, I mean, like Edie and Edie and Brew will be the one who's like, you know, we want Evan back. Why is Evan not back? 
Well, and again, that the younger mutants are beating this drum and the new the new mutants, who's mm-hmm. this team in the middle, are going to have to make a choice at some point about, like, are they part of the old guard or not? And in the first half of the book, that was part of the allure of them getting together, right? They're like, let's invite everybody to the island. They were out there almost, like, proselytizing, you know, yeah. bearing witness. But then here's the other side, and I so wish Faria was here because I know she has a really interesting point about the ideas of, um, you know, after people kind of go out and do mission work, when they come back from mission work, they've seen all these things, and it changes their relationship to the thing they're doing a mission for. And I think that beat is actually played, and then we had that conversation before this issue came out, and it is played out brilliantly here with the way that the New Mutants are positioned in the middle. So final go-round here. There's so many other things, so many other moments that we could talk about. If you want to pull out one more thing from this issue for your final round, Tyler, what would you want to pull out? I want to say that, well, the people who point out the problems are usually volunteered to solve the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they wrote the letter. It's like, well, you put your name on that letter. And Xavier is like, thank you for volunteering. Like, I'm like, problem. what? <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, yeah, I love, I think the last page looks incredible. I know that's not really much of a point, but like I think the very last page of uh, Shadow King and the, the, the fire, around the fire and just with that huge grin and just, I, I think this is a, a phenomenal issue for uh, for Otter Ice with a lot of a lot of moments. Uh, even if his fight scenes do have some issues, I think we've, properly gotten into i think the only thing for me that like the it scratched to the edge is like are we going to turn anil into a kid again like yeah. he's turning into one of these characters that we have to that like anytime we need a familiar face that people kind of like we bring him in but then we like totally overwrite his personality uh, in a different way than it was before and it's like fine shadow king's there like i'll buy it but i think rice also had to draw the younger characters looking even younger because the new mutants mm. also look pretty young especially rain because he's drawing her like that actress that played rain in the movie from game of thrones and so like i think like it made anil and scout look even younger and it kind of just like tweaked me a little bit i love anil and if this is going to be the reason that he hasn't reacted to rock slide's resurrection yet because he's in the grips of the shadow king then good job x team <laughs> way to put together that story I thought that too. I was like, are you still this young? There's no way. Like there's many other characters that have aged out of this beyond you, man. Like I know I, I, the Zeb Wells book, uh, the new mutants book has him like at the same height. And that was a, a long time ago. I, it just, it seemed, it seemed like a, a, a slip up if anything. We'll just chalk well, it up I mean, to a resurrection issue. You, <laughs> do have, you do have different characters here, which shouldn't be here. I think, I mean, um, why is Armor here? Why why is Pixie here? They should be on Sword. They are the teleporters. Crack up. Um, One Armor's, I mean, Armor's pretty busy up there right now. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can kind of read it as like, this happened just before that, or she's still on the island occasionally, but it just feels like there's so many young characters to choose from. Like, you exactly. don't have to yeah. double up. She was off yeah. like... And Peter, you have someone else too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why is Petra here? Yeah, I don't understand. Like, I, again, I'm all about, like, integrate those Deadly Genesis people er, yeah. in. But also, um, so I'm into that. And of course, I love Dust. And I always think there's more and better things to be done with mm-hmm. Dust than have been done in the past. So, look, I'm not complaining about seeing any of these people. I'm just saying, like, keep bringing us more, man. Bring it on. Just pile it on. Bring as many <laughs> yep. as obscure mutants as you can. Make up as many more as you want to. We're ready. Now we get to talk about the third issue out this week, which is not so much of a Krakoan issue because it's the anthology of Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood, which is three anthology stories by three different teams. So we're just going to go lightning round style and give our first off-the-cuff thoughts on each one. And if there's a rebuttal to be made, there's a rebuttal to be made. So let's dig in. 
up first and possibly most controversially due to the creator involved is Unfinished Business by Vidaela, who we've already seen this week, with art by Greg Land and his common team of Jay Leaston on inks and Frank D'Amata on colors, really just the one color. Tyler. No female characters and only action pieces. Perfect one for Land, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> Harry. It sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's Craig Land doing a boring story. Vita Ayala's writing is fine. I don't think it's a great Wolverine. I don't think it matches up with Greg Land very well. It's harmless at best. But the idea that there are strong thoughts on this book are are, are mind boggling to me. And with that, <laughs> no, I mean, look. Um, I'm not talking about the art here. I do have one little quibble about the story, sorry, which I forgot to mention, is that Sabretooth calling Wolverine old man seems really, really weird. It, none of the voices felt right. I'm sorry. It felt like, you know, someone doing their best Wolverine rather than something being comfortable. Uh, and I just, it's another story of Wolverine in the snow beating up a hairy man. Like, it feels like we, we literally just did this in the last issue. Like, I, I, I yeah, this, this, this put me in a bad mood. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing of note to say about the story. I mean, it's Wolverine Sabretooth again mm-hmm. in the snow. It doesn't really matter. What did any? Does anybody remember any of the words other than that one of them said "old man"? No, but I will say Greg Land here proves why I honestly, unironically love him when he tries. If you just saw this divorced from knowing it was Greg Land or Greg Land traces whatever, you would say this artist is the next Jim Lee. That the art is incredible. Not only is it dynamic, not only the figure so fun to see move, but he does great facial expressions because he probably took them from reference, but people take things from reference all the time. And he understands, which somebody later in the issue does, that does not, how to knock back the contrast of a background when you have a really busy scene and you have a dynamic figure in the foreground. This, to me, I expected Greg Land to kind of fall down on just being in black and white, but I think it actually reinforced my love for him because, again, there's no women in it. Uh, but I will say, that I really Greg Land is like so divorced from from like the the actual production of his art that he couldn't just like do the red like they needed Frank Dermata to come in and do the red that's I, I, that just also. I mean look I'm not saying every line artist has to be a colorist or care about color or whatever but there was one point that the blood was through the face and it was just and it just felt like they were like Frank, put some blood on this page. Like, <laughs> it didn't even really feel like it was, like, no. in a place. It's it so annoying. Just, like... <laughs> but yes, you're right. Yeah. That's exactly the problem. Yeah. But Greg Lang, Peter, my favorite I, X-Men artist. Yeah. There is another reason why I think you'd really love the art here. Why? Because of the gorgeous hair of Sabretooth. Oh, nice that's hair. why. If you, listened, <laughs> if you listened to the first uh, episode of our podcast that wasn't on YouTube, Secret Podcast Only Knowledge, you know uh-huh. that I was thinking about choosing Greg Land as the illustrator of my life because I need to have amazing hair in all the illustrations. And I think I think that Greg Land draws some amazing hair in the story. All right, that's as much as the all ever right. needs so to be said about to get Greg Land to draw you. <laughs> In a book. <laughs> if you ever run into him at a convention and you can, can commission him to make our, our YouTube profile picture can of me, drop that Peter. Would, I would love it. Uh, and I have great Greg Land teeth too because I That's smile true. just like his character yeah. smile. Okay. Maybe that. Maybe it's just like a sympathetic response thing. Maybe um, I just see his drawing and I'm like, they all look like me. They're all so beautiful. I'll screen cap you right now and just give it to him. Maybe, yeah, just trace this and then just, yeah. you know, do the Let whole thing. Let me make a really good O face. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. 
Seeing Red is the second story by Saladin Ahmed with Kev Walker on art duties. Tyler. So much body hair. <laughs> that was the one that, that I laughed out loud. And, you know, I, I do enjoy watching, uh, having Arcade here. Um, I think that he's about to appear in Rocks. So that is always a good thing to have a little bit of a connective issue here, even though this is just an anthology. Um, uh, it is a pretty standard Arcade story. Um, what I found um, really interesting here is that the use of red is kind of um, pretty effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. It actually makes Arcade look scary Yeah. over here. And it's not just used, you know, the red is not just used um, to to show blood. I don't think there's anything that is showing bloody here. It just keeps, I think the, the more you see the red, the more intense the story becomes mm. until the end. Um, so so I, I, I like this a lot. And um, I have always been a fan of um, Saladin Ahmed. Um, Kev Walker, I'm not very familiar with, though. Oh. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I thought this was great. I really, this was easily my favorite of the three this week. Um, really, I mean, you know, the writing was, was very solid and good. Saladin Ahmed did a, did a great job. I think he felt more natural with Wolverine. Um, and, uh, but just, just Kev Walker's art, I've always really, really liked. And this is... Uh, this is kind of a cleaner uh, Kev Walker. It's it's a little it tighter, um, which I which I found interesting in the context of of the black and white. I don't know how I'd feel about it in other situations. I, I'm curious, but like, yeah, it just it just felt really good. The, there's a really great page of Wolverine diving off uh, off like a it looks like a cliff. It's just completely like white with just this, and he's in black silhouette with a uh, red silhouette with a cage, I should say. And um, yeah, this was um, this was the one to read if you had to read one of them. Yeah, I mean, I think you two hit a lot of my points. I think the use of red was great and that it wasn't blood. Uh, you know, it was Arcade's hair. It was, like, heat and lava. I think that was really clever. Um, mm -hmm. I This is what I'm here for. Like, this is why Wolverine should get an anthology book. Do something clever. So Ahmed actually just did a chapter in Harley Quinn's anthology book, which is also a black, white, and red book. It's actually called Black, White, and Red, Not Blood. And uh, if you <coughs> have a chance to pick up one of the issues, although I could recommend several of them to you, issue number three, it's only 99 cents on digital platforms. It's him with Javier Rodriguez on artwork. And it is amazing. And it's just like this. It's a twist. It's not the Harley Quinn story you expect. This is not the Wolverine story you expect. And this is what I want. It's not necessarily like a um, plot important story, but it's a story if somebody was like, oh, what's some cool short Wolverine stuff for me to read? You would say this. I also think that Kev Walker does a kind of unexpected job here. Like he doesn't look like I expect him mm -hmm. to usually look. I did a double take once or twice and I think in a good way, maybe the colors are doing too much work on Kev Walker usually. Maybe his line work needs to sing a little bit more because I felt like the action was really clear and this was just a delight. This is why I buy anthology books. This story right here. Yeah. All right. And I love that Arcade always has an inane rule. And the inane rule here was like, Wolverine, you can't kill things, even though there's nothing to kill. And the Wolverine <laughs> yeah, is like, oh, I, like, I don't even. But he removed the ethical quandary. Like he could have just like been like, and there's people inside the suit. So there. But he <laughs> yeah. took that out. And so Wolverine didn't even have to like say like, well, I shouldn't kill people. He's like, how do I prevent myself from killing robots? It's almost impossible. Which yeah. credit to Ahmed is a brilliant brilliant plot beat to play out as he like Donkey Kong's his way up this platform. I mean, it's like literally the screen of Donkey Kong. Did you guys get that? With the like the ramps? Yeah. And the, yeah. 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 So great with the, yeah. And they have that, that thing, that, that life thing. Right, the meter. Like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Brilliant. So now, story number three, are you ready? Deep breath. 
Do We Die Today by Chris Claremont and Salvador hey. LaRocca. We don't get to say by Chris Claremont that much on our This Week in X read. That's oh, much more for the much. classic read. Yeah. Tyler. I, I mean, the first thing was like, wow, Claremont used call her Kate. <laughs> Did it. <laughs> yes, he's finally on board. <laughs> I mean... Um, I, 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 I really enjoy uh, La, La Roca's art here, which is not always the case. Sometimes his art doesn't come off as nicely or drawn or fully realized as in this case. I feel like there's a lot more detail than what is usually you know, his, his normal art is in a monthly book. And um, um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Claremontism here in your dreams. I'm the best at what I do. Um, there <laughs> is quite a, I would say among the three, this will be the second best use of red. Um, yes, it's used traditionally in the, in, in the red, uh, in the blood part. Um, I also like the fact that, you know, um, the ladies, uh, clothings are all, um, you know, have, little bit of red here and there, especially Kate's um, Chonsam. So um, the, 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 the one thing that the red is used, I thought, quite effectively here, or very effectively here, is it's used, it used to um, guide the reader's eye. Mm. So if you follow the red, yeah. it actually follows the panel, um, the way the, the panel is being uh, arranged. So I thought that was pretty effective. Okay, yeah. I mean, I thought this was fun. I didn't realize this was Claremont, Claremont when I started when I started reading this. So I was like, "This is a different flavor." <laughs> like I realized very quickly, <laughs> like, "Oh," and like there's a character called Beastie Brute, and I'm like, "This is yeah. bizarre." But yeah, yeah, it was just like a lot of fun. The it's not the worst Laraka. La I, I like him a little bit more than others, um, but this is a lot of faces, and that cannot go well with him. Uh, but it, it it did pretty well, and. Um, I didn't love the red in this, to be honest. I, I think Tara, you mm -hmm. got a great point that like you can see it kind of leads your eye. I think that's actually probably the best thing it has going for it. But um, you know, it just seems like you know it's a very digital kind of manufactured style, you know. And um, I just feel like maybe this wasn't the right pick for a uh, a black and white and red, you know, sensibility kind of thing where you want to have some more experimental stuff. The thing I think with Laraka is that he renders so much. Like, is even though people knock him for tracing or referencing or whatever, it must take him a long ass time to draw all of these shade lines and body hair and everything. Like he and he renders his backgrounds really fully too. Mm -hmm. He's not one of these people that just kind of like puts a slightly photo manipulated background and like calls it a day. Like they're still rendering on the background. I think in a book without color the rendering in the background really pulls attention from the foreground with his art. And there were certain points that I just really couldn't even see the figures, honestly, on the page because the background had as much rendering as the foreground and it was just too yeah. much. So I definitely had that, but I would agree with Harry's point that the red here, I like how it's used for the story, like Tyler said, but I don't think the background red was needed. Like when the mm. red was in the windows or whatever, it was kind of almost his excuse to not render, but it was that really gradiented, like digital red. And it kind of was like a little like, like what, like, why do we need this? Let the panel just be white, like give us impact. And so yeah. it kind of, because he colored himself here, it did kind of feel like he doesn't know just to when to like stop, like edit. You know, mm -hmm. stop what you're doing, edit for a second. We didn't need that much stuff on the panel. That said, this is Claremont doing his Claremont thing as great as he does it. 
It's mm-hmm. fun. He overexplains every character in the way that if you like Claremont, you do. Kate Pride kicks ass, which if you read Claremont, you know will happen. Yeah. It's yeah. just like if we could just get him around doing little stories like this from time to time, it would yeah. be very pleasing for me. And he likes working with LaRocca because he, they did an Extreme X-Men together and LaRocca is fast. So like, yeah. is it so bad to put them together and get some stuff to bring us a little bit of joy now and then? <laughs> no, it's not such a bad thing. That's we what my response is. We probably will see some of it in Legends, I think. Claremont, yeah. we're never going to turn down even if it turns out poorly. Yeah. And here it didn't really turn out poorly so i would say in aggregate despite mixed feelings on story number one it sounds like we could actually recommend this issue yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) i would with a qualified with a qualified yes it's five bucks that's a lot (laughs) i I would recommend Um, marvel unlimited but um i do think the last two in particular are a great time uh next week's it creators sound killer but yes that's another thing well, I would also say, too, I think this one really benefits from digital. Like, I really, like, zoomed it the heck in and, like, went mm-hmm. close on some of the stuff. I don't know. I don't know if I would enjoy reading this one physically, actually. And then to be, like, $5 for the digital book, like, yeah, MU. So I think the official recommendation is approved for Marvel Unlimited. <laughs> enjoy it in three months. Yes. That brings us to the end of our discussion for today. So much to dig into. Really a fun week, even if it didn't have the kind of, like, marquee explosive stuff that we had the past couple of weeks. Next week's also going to be a big one. I, I despair for the length of the episode <laughs> because it's it's the first issues of After X of Sword, Cable, Excalibur, and X-Men. And heaven only knows what we're going to get into in the yeah. three of those. So X-Men, X-Men might have been pushed down two more weeks. Oh, okay. so, so there could be some, some, some Christmas adjustments. But as it yeah. was printed in the book, it was Cable, Excalibur, X-Men. I'll take just yeah. two, though. <laughs> <laughs> So look, we're so happy to have you along. Freya sends her regards from wherever she is, somewhere in Amanth or possibly on the Sword Station. Who knows where she'll report to from next. And uh, on the behalf of myself, my colleagues here, Tyler and Harry, and our lost, lost sister uh, of Krakoa, Freya, I want to thank you so much for listening to Crushing Comics in This Week in X. Please subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be doing this for all the new issues coming up in the coming weeks. And we hope to be talking to you again sometime soon because X-Men is better when we read it together. As we saw this time from some of our reactions we actually really talked each other into liking some of these stories not just me uh they they talked me into liking stuff too and that's really what's part of the fun of talking about x-men with friends so with that we say farewell and be well everybody bye, bye.